you're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I can ask everyone to get back to their seats, that'd be great. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to Titus. Uh, there are hard copy Bibles at the far, uh, at the right side, of the, towards the end, uh, back of the uh, hall, or on your phone. Uh, <clears throat> so the book of Titus is towards the end of New Testament, so after the letters to Timothy, and it's before uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, <clears throat> so Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint, leader, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them harshly, sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Thank you. You know, we're all leading somewhere, I suspect, like Mike. And I could have interviewed many of you this morning where you'll find yourself leading. When we talk about leading in the church, uh, a lot of people prioritize that and see that as ministry. But for us, ministry and leading is actually about being there in the marketplace. 
It's about being missionaries in our community. And so we're all leading somewhere. We're leading ourselves. We're leading in church, family, um, in business, management, charities, education, politics, music, science, art, healthcare, entertainment, and so on. And all of you, I know, are making a difference. You are salt. You are light. Maybe you're the only person of faith in your uh, working context and so it is an amazing opportunity to influence um, the world around you and the church of today the church of today must move from just being strategic planners to to really seed planters in our post-christian context uh, it's, it's all about planting kingdom culture in every sphere of our lives. It may be we're leading in our context because we're planting a fresh attitude or a new piece of wisdom or a perspective or you're planting kingdom hope and kingdom peace in our community. And um, in days gone by, I, I think we used to separate uh, discipleship from leadership. We say, look, there's, there are people who are appointed to be leaders, and then there are people who are disciples. But Christ's way and Christ's call for us as disciples in this post Christian world that we live in means that it is so countercultural to the world around us. We're so set apart, even if not by design or by a title or by a position, simply by default, you will find yourself leading right now in your context, wherever you are. Because to, to, to be a disciple of Christ is so countercultural to the world around us in terms of values and heart, is that you will find yourself by default often leading in your context. And so I, I, I've talked about this over the years, but um, every time I think I'm not going to mention it again, it just seems so relevant that leadership in today's world is at an absolute premium. We need extraordinary leadership in today's society. And I think there are three reasons that people are looking for good leadership in today's age. First of all, people are usually concerned about leadership in a time of crisis. And so uh, as we deal with the pandemic, as we deal with the multiple crises of war and uh, the economy and the moral decay that we see in our society, there is a yearning, isn't there, for good leadership. Uh, there are many trends and epidemics of crisis and brokenness that are running right now through the fabric of our society and as you read throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New, is that God's way, sovereign way, divine way of uh, bringing restoration, of building health, is through healthy and good leadership, particularly in a time of crisis. Secondly, I think the interest of leadership emerges during a time of rapid change. So, um, I know I'm preaching to the converter, but don't you notice just the, uh, the pace of change that's happening right now in our society? 
changes in family structure and marriage and moral boundaries, technological changes, global economic shifts, demographic changes. And in many respects, there's a feeling, isn't there, that things are spinning out of control or that almost things are moving too fast for us. But some of the things that we will be facing, and I liken it to a bit of mo- like motion sickness, really. And we talked uh, this last month about emotions. And if you want to have healthy emotions, you've actually got to think about um, our emotions, our rhythms. But you just look at our culture and our society. There's, a, there's, there's so much change. It's a feeling of being disorientated. And as we are on the cusp now of looking at things like, it's crazy in the church, but we'll need to address things like the rise of artificial intelligence, things like global heating, polarization, where essentially if you disagree with someone, it automatically means a division. And so we are in increasingly changing times and therefore we need good, healthy leadership. The third thing is the well-publicized failure of many of our leaders. So we live in a time where much has been entrusted to leaders, whether that be in, in the government, politics, uh, we see this in the church, and we just keep getting let down. <laughs> uh, and People have committed shocking financial or moral crimes and where they've been given responsibility, not the right, but responsibility and the trust to lead people and there's been failure. And so therefore trust, which is really at the the heart and the basis of of leadership, It's kind of like an all-time low because we already live in a pluralistic age. So many people denounce authority. They won't respond to authority. And when there's mistrust in institutions, like we've seen in the government, like we've seen in the church, then people have an increased lack of confidence in leadership and authority. Therefore, there's this sense of uh, a horizontal view to everybody that I am my opinion and my rights. I am the person responsible. I will govern myself. I do not look to others. And we see this with pastors and sadly with churches really on a weekly basis. Uh, last couple of weeks was, I don't know if you read about in the States, the uh, horrendous stuff with the Southern Baptist Convention with abuse over there. And we could go on and on. And uh, look, being a leader is hard enough. It's a lonely place. Um, and so we need to pray for our leaders. And, um, and it's a hard, hard thing to do. But we're seeing just, I've never seen it in my lifetime like this before, just weekly. You're just like, oh, not again. That's, that's basically the conversation I often have with Josh here. And, in the office is not again. And um, I think the church also has been sadly silent when confronted with these failures and abuses in the church because often we've been seduced, haven't we, by the gifting or the charisma of a leader. 
We assume because someone stands on a platform and has certain levels of knowledge uh, and persona is that they are walking with great character. But sadly, they're not. And I think a lot of our institutions and the way we've uh, framed leadership hasn't been helpful because I think it's created a chasm between reality and authenticity and that which is almost placed on a platform for appearance. And there's a disconnect. But as you read the Bible, and we cannot escape this, and nor do we want to escape this, and we read books like Titus and Timothy and so many other books, there is, when it comes to leadership, a sense of verticality that runs through it. Healthy lives, healthy churches, healthy families, healthy communities are a byproduct of healthy leadership. But I think our current cultural climate, the word leader can actually throw up some negative stereotypes. And as you read the Bible, leadership actually manifests itself in words like mothers and fathers and shepherds and prophets and judges and priests and kings and pastors and elders and overseers and apostles and heroes and warriors But a westernized business model of corporate leadership, I think, is something that the church sadly has lent into, where there's been a removal of a lot of those character traits of what we see in the Bible. And I think, certainly with COVID, but certainly with the church in the last couple of years, where there's been a shaking, we need to get the foundation right of what it means to be a healthy leader. When you look at the metaphors that Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul seems to prefer, mother, father, steward, herald, they, they speak of relationship, don't they? They speak much more of authenticity. They speak of care and faithfulness and duty and responsibility. And the world is crying out for those type of leaders today. And so as we think about the foundations of the church, in this climate, as we review things and remind ourselves once again about what is truth, what is God looking for in leaders? Not what the world is looking for, but what is God looking for in leaders? And what kind of leader is Jesus, not only is Jesus looking for, but what kind of leader is the church looking for in today's climate? And I think this is particularly prevalent as we uh, as I talked about our vision series, and we look at things like multiplication, what does it mean to branch out, as it were, as a family, as we think about multiplying uh, groups and church plants and multi-site and various other things, the reality is, is we want those to be healthy. So we need to look at the foundation. We need to look at the root of the leaders that we're appointing and God is anointing. And so here we find Titus a missionary, a convert of, of Paul's uh, missionary journeys. He's a close companion uh, to Paul. And he's left him in Crete, kind of like to set up multiple churches and to appoint leaders in those churches. And, um, and so he talks about in that chapter about setting up elders in cities for these churches. So Titus's job was to appoint an elder 
or a bishop, a leader, all these words are, kind of mean the same thing, but they're interchangeable. Uh, and then we come to Paul's requirements. So I want you to imagine a job advert being pulled out and what should the candidate for a leader be and carry? What are some of the characteristics that they're looking for as a leader of these congregations, as an elder, as a leader of the church? Now clearly you see here in this passage, it is, did you know, there's not a huge emphasis on giftedness and ability. Not to say that gifting and competence and spiritual gifts and uh, officers and abilities and personality, not to say that none of those things are important, they are very important. But the primary foundational, fundamental issue is about holiness and character. And you just think about what our churches globally, what our politics, what our businesses, what our institutions would look like with healthy leaders who prioritize character. That is the first and foremost. Not who can do a great job, not who seems to be the most charismatic, not who seems to be the most gifted, but actually who has character is the go-to. That is what Jesus is looking for in leaders. The key to the leader's public usefulness in terms of their gifting, in terms of what they bring, is in their inner unseen life. I've always loved this quote that my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. People's greatest need is my personal holiness. Character is what we are when nobody is looking. When the lights are off, when you're not on the stage, when you're in the privacy of your own home and life, that is where character truly is, not in the public domain. A really key word that God is looking for, I believe, in our time and our culture is simply this, faithfulness. I really believe that when Jesus looks upon us and we give an account for our lives, that that is the thing that Jesus is going to be asking and looking at the most. Were you faithful? Not were you the smartest or the most eloquent or the most gifted or most charismatic. Were you faithful with what I gave you? Faithful in every way. Faithful to our spouses, faithful to our church, to the call of God, to the Bible, to the gospel, to truth. Are we faithful to all these things? Success is hearing well done from the lips of the one who only really matters, that is Jesus. Because if, you, if you're a leader, you will get many people who will not say well done to you. You'll receive a lot of flack you'll receive persecution, misunderstanding, misrepresentation. That is part and parcel of being a leader, but it's all about the one who sees in private, who sees your heart, who sees your motives, and him saying, well done. That is what we live for. Good leaders are primarily people who are judges of themselves. 
They don't wait for others to judge them. They're judges of themselves and they have a self-starter button every day that I live under this conviction for the audience of one and for his perspective and opinion on my life. So here we have an elder, a leader in the church must be blameless. And and really that word is an all-encompassing word for what is to be listed after that, but must be blameless. The word here does not mean, if you're interested in the Greek and stuff, unblemished. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, otherwise there'd be no leaders in the church. (laughs) There's only Jesus who's perfect. But what it does mean is without blame. It does mean to have integrity. It does mean to be above and beyond reproach. It does mean to be accountable. It does mean to be um, marred by no disgrace. It's kind of like no loophole for criticism. And that's why it talks about in Timothy about not appointing recent converts to leadership. And there's lots of reasons for that. But pride being the main one mentioned there. But also we need time. We need time to allow Jesus to deal with our character. We need time that when the pressure comes on, when the responsibility falls on your shoulders, that there's a foundation there. That your, your, your character is really, really deep. That there's been years of trials and testing and refining in your life. And you'll see here that an overseer is entrusted. And I love that word because that is the complete opposite to entitled. And often leaders feel a sense of entitlement because of their title to lord it over people, to have control over people, to have title and turf, as it were, that hey, I've led in this position, I've led in this way for all these years, therefore I have a right to be a leader. And of course, that's completely up to Jesus. He appoints, he installs leaders, and there are different seasons for leadership and for what that looks like. But the key is, is submission, is servant-heartedness. It's saying, look, this is not mine, this does not belong to me. I am a steward. It has been entrusted by Jesus to me to be used to serve people. Not to control people, not to manipulate, not for personal gain, not for pride, not for greed, not for financial gain. But this is, you have been appointed in order to be a servant. And if there's ever a need, and what I love actually about the vineyard, if, if you've just been here for, for a little while, what you won't know is that at the heart of what leadership means for the vineyard is we're not, we're not into titles. It is about serving. It's about washing the feet of those around us. It's the upside down kingdom that Jesus talked about and demonstrated. To lead is to wash the feet of those around us. And I think we need a revival of servant leadership in our time. You don't need to talk to people about authority when you're serving them. Authority is always gained in a person's life 
and in a city when we are at a kingdom posture of serving. And here we have three spheres to be investigated. So these leaders have been installed in Crete. Paul is saying to Titus, there are three spheres that need to be investigated for the these leaders? What are the character traits? What are the things that we're looking at? What are the most important things? The first one is marriage and family life. Marriage and family life. And the principle here is this, is the home is the training ground for Christian leaders. The home is the training ground for Christian leaders. To be a husband of but one wife basically means no polygamy. You can't have multiple women, men on the go once, okay? Kids not being wild. And Paul has here, um, in this context, he's talking about young children, about not being wild. There's no sense of, uh, the, the kind of the imagery there is of the prodigal son and that story. There's no sense of discipleship or transformation or learning or development, it's just, no submission, rebellion, chaos. And there's clear logic here by Paul. Parents cannot be expected to manage God's family if they cannot manage their own. And that's why Joni and I, from when we took on this church, we always said, we will put family first. We will put family first. If I speak to any leader and I sense they're putting leadership and the church ahead of their own relationship with their spouse or with their kids, then they need to have some time out and get their priorities in order. And the second principle, of course, in that, as like a sub point, is how can you even win strangers or outsiders to Christ if you have failed to win those who are most exposed to your influence day in and day out? So if you're daily living with your family and there's no sense of influence there, then how can you even expect to manage God's family and indeed the community in terms of reputation? And so you can't have externally facing ministry that is spiritually raw if your soul hasn't overflowed as a leader into your own home, into your own family. Because, and I know this won't be a surprise to any of you, the home is the most, sometimes, shall I say, the most difficult people to love. I'm sure to Joni, I'm the most difficult person because they've got to live with me day in, day out. They see your weaknesses, they see your flaws, they see everything, they see the real you. Most people in the church just may have a glimpse of you. And so those who... In your home, if there's no godly influence and authority there, then how can you live from that sense of overflow? Because that's what leadership is, isn't it? We live for Christ, and there's an overflow where we're able to lead and to serve others. It's so easy, isn't it, for leaders to think, do you know what, no, that's separate, that's private, and I will live for the glory of the outside world. And the Bible goes, no. 
No, no, no. If, you, if, if, if that's the foundation, the platform of your life, it will destroy your soul. And what you'll start to do is you'll start to cover up things. You'll start to do things in secret because you realize there is a chasm, there's discrepancies between your home life and the church life and it will destroy your soul. It will eat you up inside. So let me just make this really kind of down to earth for you. Your mum and dad both committed to seeing a love for Jesus and the gospel to be preeminent in their lives and in their family. And so what they do is they, they plan into their schedules and into their diary things that stir the affections for Christ. They're talking about Jesus in the car. We just had a half-term holiday. And so it's a great opportunity to spend time with the kids where you're, you can pray. Even if it's just starting pray at the dinner table. It's where you can start to talk about Jesus in the car when you go to bed at night, you read stories, you, uh, you put on some worship music in the house, you start to sing it around the house. So that's what, one of the markers of being filled with the Spirit is we're singing spiritual songs to one another. But we're talking about Jesus, and look, Joni and I will be the first ones to say we're talking about Jesus inconsistently, wobbly, not getting it right, not getting it f- fully correct. But we've got no, and I don't think Paul is saying this, we've got no expectations for this or vision for this incredible parenting skills. We're doing the best that we can with where we're at. And some days look really good and some days are really difficult. Anybody with kids know what I mean? Okay. (laughs) Can we get an amen? So I would draw this kind of linear line when it talks about leadership in marriage and family life. You have an individual, you have a mum, you have a dad whose hearts are stirred for Jesus in the car, in bed, waking up in the morning, here and there, pointing to the beauty of the loving Jesus. And it begins to transform your family and your home and you begin to shine brightly in a darkening world. Secondly, blameless in character and conduct. In other words, lead the home, then lead yourself. The point here, the principle, really simple. How can you expect to lead God's family if you cannot lead yourself? And so it's all about character and conduct. And here he employs 11 terms, five negative and six positive. And what Paul is wanting to say is that, look, first and foremost, you've got to be a master of yourselves. That's why there's lots of terms there, like self-controlled and disciplined. And the five negatives here relate to five areas of strong temptation for every Christian, but particularly for leaders. Pride, temper, drink, power, and money. Anyone who's had a moral failure as a leader will find that it was probably one of those areas that undid them. So now we go from the principle leaders cannot manage the church, they cannot manage the family. You cannot manage and have responsibility over the church if you cannot control yourself. So let's just go through these things really quickly. Let's get an idea. Not overbearing, not overbearing means not stubborn. 
not arrogant, not self-willed, not headstrong and autocratic. It's in a sense that I will listen to people around me. How many leaders do we know? We say that they're a leader because they're headstrong, they're self-willed. But actually that's an overbearing. That's actually not a respecting of boundaries. So actually you have, you place in your lives people and what I love, I absolutely love our, particularly our staff team, it's just, it's very collaborative. It's very like, yeah, we want to listen, we want to engage, we want to work this out, we want to, uh, things to be pointed out that aren't right, we want to over-communicate, not under-communicate, we're willing to, to change. That's why we have, um, we as a vineyard, our Episcopal church. That's our structure. So we have people over us who can call out our blind spots, who can speak into our lives, that we're chasing after, we're, we're, we're looking for, we're leaning in for accountability and for people to say, look, Jenny and I just met with our overseers just um, last week, wasn't it? And that's what I said to him. I said, speak, speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. What do you see? And so that's what we want. But it's not about being arrogant and stubborn and self-willed. Secondly, not quick-tempered. I think a good word there is peppery. You're not impatient or irritable. This is something I've had to work through and really struggle because I think when you're leading and you're speaking and there's an adrenaline there, it's really easy to get irritable with the people around you. Particularly where there's a familiarity there and you kind of think, well, that's easy. They'll take it. But this is a strong emphasis for Paul when he's looking at leaders, is that if you're going to have good character and good conduct, you need to um, not be quick-tempered. You need to not be impatient. Because I think a leader many times wants to also hurry things through. And often they get frustrated with people because they see them as holding up the vision. And that's where people and leaders start to use churches for their own advances and we excuse it by saying well it's, you know, they're doing it for God, they're doing it for the kingdom that's just wrong you're called to feed the sheep to be a shepherd, to care to pastor temperance and moderation thirdly regarding alcohol, I, th- I think that's pretty self-explanatory isn't it do not get drunk it's not saying that you can't have a glass of wine or uh, a drink, but temperance in your life, moderation in all these things is very, very important. Not be violent. And I think the key thing there is that leaders often have a forceful disposition to get things through. And so there's got to be a gentleness. It's not about controlling people or directing or manipulating. There's no, what we see in modern terms, no sense of gaslighting or Toxicity, it's kind of like, oh, you've come to me, but I'm going to put the blame on you. Do you know, it's, it's leading by example. It's leading by example, by servanthood, and not riding roughshod over people. And then pastors should not be motivated by greed, but by service. So the love of money, which is the root of all evil, the love of money, of course, is a no-go. That You should not be motivated by financial gain by greed and uh, that's why we're going to have checks and balances in there that's why we as a, as a church 
um, because financial scandal and misappropriation is huge in the global church. That's why we have strong checks and balances in place uh, in terms of us as a local church and a movement. And then you come to virtues. So they're the negatives. They're the things you kind of um, got to avoid. And here are some of the virtues. Hospitality. Welcoming those into your home, but especially those from outside the church. So we had a, a, a moment yesterday uh, where we planned our day and there was some boundaries there and safeguarding of it, but from someone outside the church journey got a call and it was a, a bit of an emergency. And so it's uh, frustrating, but we, we recognize that as leaders, hospitality in these moments is absolutely important. So we created space in order to, to deal with that person and to help them and serve them. And so the Lord will test us in these areas all the time. Secondly, they love what is good. And of course, that is just goodness. I mean, we've, we've devalued, haven't we, that word good, but it's like in the creation story, God created and it was good, but we see good as like seven out of 10 in a test. <laughs> Not like excellent, but good is goodness. It's incredible, it's awesome. And so we love things, and that can include also good causes. It, it includes being a supporter maybe of charities. Things which are looking to extend goodness is something that you love with your heart. Thirdly, self-controlled. Um, you have a disciplined lifestyle. That's a so, uh, you're sober, sensible. You're upright in your dealings with people. Holiness, devotion to God. And then discipline really covers everything before, which is self-mastery. So someone who is devoted to the things of God, who's holy, who's uh, disciplined and devout. And then finally, and I'll finish with this before we pray, elders must be blameless in their doctrinal orthodoxy. Verse 9, they must hold firmly to the truth. And so this idea of being an overseer of a leader is really the idea of being a shepherd. And that means that you're always overseeing and overlooking to see even where there's false, and in this case, where there's false teaching coming into the life of the church. And so when we teach from the scriptures, which is absolutely primary and central to all that we do, is that it needs for instruction and encouragement, but also to refute. False teaching. And that's why we emphasize the Bible in all that we do as a church community. One is to gather the sheep, and the other is to drive away wolves, which is primarily false teaching, which brings division. The reality is, church, is this is one of our greatest threats in a post-Christian world with liberalism. And so though we will be persecuted for it, the reality is we as a church must hold on to the orthodox teachings of the Bible. And we must gather the sheep and drive away the wolves. Therefore we must instruct and we must refute and it takes courage to do that. And we see, don't we, in the beginning of chapter one is that Paul's emphasis is this, before he even gets into the character traits of a good leader, is that you must have good 
a good perspective on good theology. You must have a love for truth. You must have a love for the gospel. It talks about the eternal life. It talks about the knowledge of the truth. It talks about a preaching that is entrusted. And so often, don't we, particularly uh, young leaders, young Christians, um, we're looking for the new thing. We're looking for the latest thing. And I really believe, as John Wimber used to say, is that the way in is the way on. We come in through the gospel and we go on with the gospel, which is the truth of Jesus. It's the truth of the Bible. And we must hold on to that with everything that we have. We must protect that and guard that and preach that faithfully in all that we do. So there's just some opening thoughts. Josh is going to continue the series next week um, on, on Titus. And uh, I know we're not one for the church calendar, but do you know it's Pentecost today? Anyone know that? Uh, so I think we need to pray for one another for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. So why don't you stand and uh, we're going to do that. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.